I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiber Fueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. You know, sometimes I, I, I have the same experience just eating um, a fresh fresh corn off the cob when it's really crunchy and sweet. I've just learned how to pay attention to those kinds of things and to really enjoy them and reflect on how available and simple good health can actually be and how delicious and fun it can be if we take time to appreciate, you know, what we have. Season three of the Plant Strong podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world through a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Hello, my Plant Strong pals. My name is Rip Esselstyn, and I want to welcome you to another great week on the Plant Strong podcast. I hope that your summer is off to a grand start. I can tell you that my family and I, we love this time of year. We're outside by the community pool. The kids are starting a swim, swim team, the summer league. We are hitting the trails on the bikes. Uh, we are enjoying this new game called pickleball where you, uh, you play on a tennis court. It's about half the size of a the tennis court and you use the tennis court net and you use a ball it's like a wiffle ball and these little smaller hard uh, wood rackets and it is an absolute riot and I recommend that everybody gets out there and plays some some pickleball and plus the pickle is a great a great vegetable uh, we also love this time of year because Everything is slowed down. We like eating our dinners instead of 6 to 7. We're 7.30 to 8.30, even 9. And uh, it is just a joyful, joyful time of the year. And, and that's what this episode is all about because my guest today epitomizes the word joyful. In fact, it's even the name of her new book. Her name is Shara Aguirre. She is a vibrant soul who proves to all of us that health and vitality has no age limit. Her new book, Joyful Delicious Vegan, Life Without Heart Disease, is testament that we can all learn to enjoy good health naturally at any age, and it starts in our kitchens by changing how we eat. Shara shares her story of reversing her heart disease and high blood pressure after she realized, get this, that she was eating over 50% fat every day. So she adopted a simple yet beautiful 
whole foods, plant-based diet. And you guys know how life unfolds after you truly commit and embrace to a whole food, plant-strong diet. Simple is the key word here, and you'll be inspired and touched by her mindful approach to life that includes a daily yoga and meditation practice as well that I'm very curious about. Shara is aspirational to me because of her approach to life, that we should all reflect on how available and simple good health can actually be and how delicious and fun it can be if we take time to appreciate everything that we have. And I have a guest today who has actually just right up the road from me. You know, I'm in here in Austin, Texas. And uh, and Shara Aguirre is in Houston, Texas. And she is a kindred plant strong spirit. Super pleased to have her on the Plant Strong podcast. I love that you uh, like throwing around the term plant strong just like I do. It's in your uh, in your vocabulary. But I have you on the podcast today because you have have birthed another child recently, haven't you? Yes, and today is the official birthday. Wow! My release day. <laughs> yes. So, so for all of you that are out there, Shara wrote this really incredible book called "Joyful Delicious Vegan: Life Without Heart Disease." Everybody wants life without heart disease. So, I'd love, I'd love to talk about the book, your journey, your struggles, and, uh, and how you got to where you are today, where you decided to spend some time and put every, you know, put pen to paper and, and write this spectacular book. So in a prior life, you led a business for close to 35 years, um, yeah. which, which you sold in 2016. Can you tell me about that business and, and what that was about? Oh, sure, sure. Um, it was a maintenance business, um, and we provided facility maintenance services for mainly corporations. We did a lot of work in the oil field. I mean, I'm in Houston, so the oil industry is real strong. So we uh, provided landscaping, custodial services, minor mechanical maintenance to a lot of refineries. Uh, we also did some uh, universities. Uh, we were in about seven or eight states, um, and um, had about at our height about 1200 employees so it was a service business we were able to um, win some uh, recognition for like service excellence community uh, community involvement um, so innovation so yeah. those kinds of things so I was really uh, pleased with uh, having had the opportunity to run that business with all my employees. And actually I started paying more attention to not only my health, but the health of my workforce at that time. So you, wow. So that was, so you were in that maintenance business for 35 years. I was. Wow. Were you the like CEO and president? Yes. I, I founded the business. Yeah. And uh, so I ran it for those 35 years. I had a great management team. So I certainly uh, relied on them for all the stuff I didn't know, which was plenty. And I focused on the things that, you know, I was better at. Yeah. And uh, they handled the rest of it. But I had an incredible team. Wow. Wow. So you decided to get out in 2016, sold the business. Good, good for you. Wow. That's a 35 years. That is a, that's half a lifetime for many people. That's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> long time, long time. And so, so that being said, uh, it sounds like you said you, you wanted to do your best to introduce a lot of your workforce to eating and living healthier. When did your journey uh, to eating healthier and living healthier begin? And what, what, like, what was the, the, uh, your, your aha moment there? <laughs> well, it, you know, it actually started um, with my you know, childhood, growing up in a family uh, that had a lot of heart disease, uh, hypertension, um, stroke, aneurysm on both sides. So I grew up watching my parents uh, take blood pressure medications for as long as I could remember. Uh, and I just remember as a kid and then growing up, all of these incidents that happened to people and all these um, 
illnesses and tragedies uh, that happened around heart disease. My grandmother had a stroke at about my age. I'm 72, and that's about the time that she had her stroke. Uh, and she ended up partially paralyzed. She regained some functionality, but not, not all. Um, and her husband, my grandfather, again, on my mom's side, died of a massive heart attack in his 50s, mid-50s. And then on my dad's side, uh, I had an uncle that had five heart attacks, the last of which took his life, mm. uh, while he also battled cancer. Um, I had an aunt that died from an aneurysm, which you know caused a coma, and she eventually passed. I had another aunt that had a simultaneous stroke and heart attack. So there was all of this history there. And so I was concerned. So that got my attention. I started pretty early to, to think about what could I do to maybe have another, you know, path. Um, and when it started to hit my generation, that's when I really got serious <laughs> because cousins younger than myself, um, and I'll give you two examples. I had one uh, cousin who came home from work with a splitting headache, went to bed and never woke up. And mm -hmm. it's thought that he had a, an aneurysm. Uh, he thought his blood pressure was under control. He was on medication, but uh, we don't really know what the, the causal factor was, but it was shocking. Uh, and he was in his 40s. And then I had another cousin in his 40s, also younger than myself at the time, who was on his way to a vacation, a ski vacation with his wife, um, who worked for an airline company. And they were at Hobby Airport here in Houston. He got caught in security, told her to go ahead. He'd meet her at the gate. She waited. He didn't show up. She started backtracking back to security, saw a small crowd gathering in the concourse. And when she made her way to the front of it, there lay my cousin, her husband. And it was his first heart attack and was fatal. Uh, he was also uh, active and um, thought his blood pressure was under control, had been on medications, but so these things were really shocking. And so when it got to my generation, I really started to pay attention. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, the th the, I think the sad thing is that, you know, you just, the way you just described that and, and all of the different chronic Western disease that's on both your mother's and your father's side of the family, right? right. And just littered with it. Unfortunately, it's not unusual. You know, most, right. most, most people have... Um, have, have similar chronic Western disease running throughout their family lines. And as you talk about in the book, right? I mean, <laughs> this is highly, highly preventable. Who did you share? A, who did you write this book to and for? You know, I, I actually dedicated the book to my mom. Uh, as, as I mentioned, she had been on medications her whole life and she actually passed away after a 12-year battle with Alzheimer's, which we now also know is food-related. Yeah. Um, so I dedicated it to her. Um, but I'm actually writing it for, I think, the future generations. I, I have this vision of kind of rewriting family histories through changing our food traditions. Because as you know, um, basically our, our genetic factors for heart disease and other chronic diseases are secondary to lifestyle and food. Yeah. And so if we can focus on the lifestyle and food, not taking away anything, because uh, obviously we'll take away the dairy and the meat, but not taking away the flavors and, um, you know, the joy of eating. Uh, that's why my book, I wanted to lead with that joyful element, yeah. <laughs> because when you're talking about heart disease, that's not something that you typically uh, associate with, you know, joy. But I think learning to live in a way that we don't have to have that is the joyful aspect of this. And it's as close as our kitchens. Yeah, yeah. In the book, and I know Baxter, Dr. Baxter Montgomery also gave you a really nice endorsement as well. A cardiologist from Houston, but basically how, you know, African-American women are on the front lines of mm -hmm. uh, a national health healthcare crisis right now. Yes. Uh, really, you know, um, in a proportionally higher rate than, than most, than most Americans. And so I think what I, I, if I remember reading in the book, you mentioned how, you know, we basically need to 
challenge the, the current status quo and, and, and reimagine what our food traditions look like, which to me is spot on. Exactly right. Yes, uh, I am, I'm very passionate about that. And that's the journey, you know, I've been on. And the statistics that you mentioned are really, were really compelling to me and are still compelling. Um, almost half of all Americans, as you know, have some form of heart disease. For Black women, it's about 48%. But the, but the compounding factor that makes that picture more dire is that um, we're probably 60% or so more likely uh, to have high blood pressure and we're about twice as likely to die from, you know, the effects of heart disease and we die at an earlier age. And yeah. we have a similar uh, pattern for um, diabetes. Yeah. So it's really, it, it is a, an epidemic for the whole country and, you know, people and communities of color, we're often at the worst end of those statistics. What's at the root of that? Why do you think that is? Well, you know, there are many reasons, uh, Rip, uh, as you know, um, you know, obviously we talked about the food, but food is related to resources. <laughs> it's related to your ability to live in a place where you have access to good food, to fresh food. Uh, in many urban communities, we have what are known as uh, food deserts, you know, where, and I live right next to a food desert right here in Houston, where for probably a, a radius of four or five miles in a densely populated, you know, area, you don't find many grocery stores that have a lot of fresh produce. Yeah. And when you find it, it's not that appealing and it's high priced. So ability to be able to get to good food and to have the knowledge to know how to, how important it is. Um, now what we do have a lot of access to is fast food. I mean, there's one of those on, you know, is a McDonald's or, you know, not to, point to anybody because they're all here, um, but they're everywhere. And you have a lot of convenience stores with mostly, you know, processed packaged food on the shelves. A lot of people just stop in and, you know, get that. So that's readily available. So these are, are problems. Uh, and then the educational part of it is something I want to address where people understand how important it is to feed our health and not our, our illness. Yeah. I think I've heard so, I mean, you're well aware, as is most of the country right now, that we are being swept up right now. I mean, this is really like a plant-based era that we're in right now. It's truly yeah. phenomenal how, yes. far, how far the movement has come since my father started his research, you know, at the Cleveland Clinic in 1984 and was called a quack, right? For, by, yes. you know, by, even by fellow doctors and cardiologists thinking, oh my God, there's no connection between food and heart disease. You got to be kidding me, right? But now everywhere you turn, it's like plant-based for the health, plant-based for sustainability, plant-based for the environment, plant-based, you know, for the, for, for con compassion, plant-based, right? I mean, it's like, right. so hopefully it starts to rule supreme, but I've heard that one of the fastest growing segments is, are African and African-Americans, which is like fantastic game on, right? Yes, it is. Uh, I'm so, you know, pleased to, to, you know, to have seen those statistics. Um, there was one study that said um, basically black Americans are about, um, what is it? S several times more likely to identify as vegan mm -hmm. or vegetarian in the U S than the general population. Yeah. Uh, so, and I've actually seen that before I heard the statistic, I had actually noticed that because in my business, I traveled a lot. Yeah. And what I would always do, I would always look for vegan, you know, plant-based restaurants. And, and back 10, 15 years ago, there weren't a whole lot of them, but I would find the ones that, that, that I could find in whatever city I was going to. And I, you know, I would look forward to that part of my trip. Yeah. And when I would go to these places, almost everywhere, you'd see a large percentage of African-Americans actually frequenting those uh, those uh, restaurants or cafes or whatever. Um, you'd see a lot of people working there. 
and you'd see a lot of Black-owned vegan restaurants. So I was really uh, thrilled to see that early on. And now it's more so. I've got three or four right within, you know, four or five blocks of my house. Yep. Yep. No, I mean, we, really, it's like we got to um, uh, we got to be rebels, like rebels against the standard American diet that is not doing anybody any favors. And as we've talked about, you know, so much so African-Americans. So let's let's figure out a way to, you know, band together and and give the finger to, to meat and dairy and processed refined food and all the added sugar and all that literally crap that is, uh, that is so pervasive right now in this culture. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned your father, and I'm such a big fan of his. Uh, I learned about him through Dr. Montgomery, actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, because they were, you know, colleagues in a way. And uh, his work has been so phenomenal. And uh, along with folks like Dr. Ornish, Dean Ornish, um, and I quote them in my book because I'm such a fan. I, I love your dad's quote that says something like, um, we've got to learn how to turn off the faucet instead of mopping up the floor. Right. And basically what he, what he means is we got to address the root cause of the epidemics of lifestyle diseases, not just maintenance and management of symptoms. Exactly. It's exactly right. I mean, everything that we're doing right now, I should say most physicians are doing, it's, it's yeah, they're not turning off the faucet. Instead, they're just treating, treating the symptoms with pills and procedures and angioplasties and open heart surgery and statin medications, which, which is not turning off the faucet, <laughs> not, in, not in any way, shape or form. So let's talk about you. So you had a powerful experience. I think it was about 11, 12 years ago that really kind of altered your traje trajectory. Can you, can you describe that for us? A absolutely. Um, well, I'll just back up a few steps and say yeah. that in my thir early 30s, um, I started to notice my body changing. And I noticed that when I'd eat my typical fast food lunch, burgers, uh, fries, fried chicken, pizza, and you're from Texas, so you may be familiar with boudin. I love boudin, which is a Louisiana sausage. <laughs> um, but I noticed after the, that lunch, that type of lunch, I would have absolutely zero energy. My energy would flatline you know, about mid-afternoon, and I, could, I just had to drag myself. And so I started to pay attention to what I ate. Uh, you know, at lunchtime, and then how I felt afterwards. And I, little by little, I just started making um, changes. I cut out, the first thing I cut out was Shipley donuts. Okay. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, it was the fried chicken. Uh, and so over the next 20 years, I started to eat a primarily vegetarian diet. Uh, I say primarily because I still ate dairy, uh, eggs, uh, fish, um, and then in my 50s, my blood pressure started to creep up. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is not supposed to happen to me. I, I'm, I've been eating pretty good, better than most people that I know. Uh, I'm active. You know, why is this happening? But it did. Uh, and, uh, it like, and it sounds like for you back then and most and a lot of people, you know, a, a vegetarian diet, you're the only thing you really were uh, omitting. It sounds like was red meat and chicken, but you still had everything else. Yeah, that's pretty much true. I ate the, uh, I still ate the fish and cheese. I love cheese. I ate lots of cheese yeah. and I ate eggs. Yes. And, and milk. Yes, that is yeah. correct. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, so basically uh, what happened was I, I had to go on blood pressure medications and uh, I, I remember the day that I first filled the prescription from my general practitioner because he had harassed me. I was in denial. I didn't want to do it. And I knew that I had to. And I did. So I, I actually was depressed. You know, I felt like a failure. You know, I felt like everything I had done, you know, to, to try to be healthier had not worked. And I also started to wonder if, you know, my family history was was my destiny. Maybe I couldn't avoid it. Uh, so it was really traumatic for me. But but the things, the two incidents that really uh, made me realize that I had to go further and I couldn't give up 
uh, and just rely on the medications. The first was I was in my yard doing some yard work, got up quickly and felt like I was going to faint. And so that had not happened to me before. So I wasn't sure if it had a relationship to the meds I started taking or not. Yeah. Um, but what I found out later as I began to um, monitor my, my blood pressure, I would do it twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. And I noticed that my evening readings were about 10 to 15 points lower pretty consistently. Mm. So everything was predicated, you know, in terms of the medication on what happened in the doctor's office in the daytime, which, you know, was calibrated that way. I think that that had part, you know, was part of the reason. Um, but the one incident that was the showstopper for me when I absolutely knew I had to make a change uh, was one day uh, when I decided to take an elderly friend for lunch. Um, it was about 15 minutes from her house, the restaurant. We got in the car got on the freeway, we were laughing, we were talking, having a good time. And all of a sudden I started to fade. I started to feel like I was gonna actually black out. I, I remember gripping the steering wheel. I was in a state of panic because I had this elderly woman you know, in the car with me and I was trying to not let her see you know, the terror that I was feeling. Uh, and the only thing I could think of was to try to get off the freeway. That was the only thing I was focused on. So I was able to, to make it to the, the next exit ramp. I got off the freeway. And as soon as we got on the surface road, it just passed. The feeling just went away like it never happened. And we were only a couple of blocks from the restaurant. So I wasn't about to get back on the freeway. So we went ahead, had lunch actually had a nice time uh, and nothing happened. But I knew from that point what could have happened, what could have been the result, not just for me, but for my friend. And I said, I've got, I've got to go further. Yeah. And, uh, shortly after that, I got introduced, or I should say referred to Dr. Montgomery. Uh, and that, that was the turning point from, from there. And so he's the one that suggested that you kind of go go all in and eliminate the processed oils and even some of the, you know, the, most of the nuts and uh, it's kind of more like my father and Dean Ornish's programs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he actually, as you may know, he went a step further and I'm not sure if he's still doing that. I think he is, but he is a big fan of for detox purposes, yeah. uh, a raw and for healing purposes, a raw diet. So I actually did that for, almost a year or so. Um, and then once uh, I had improved, you know, my readings were better. They weren't really where I wanted them to be, mm -hmm. uh, but they were better and getting more consistent. I started adding back in some of the cooked foods. I could eat some nuts and things like that. Yeah. So talk, talk so we've skipped over the experience that happened 11 years ago that was kind of uh, transformational for you too. Which one? So there was, I think you were at a retreat in California. Oh, and, yeah. And the love story, the love story with yourselves. Oh, thank you for asking about that. Yeah. Nobody ever asked me about that. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, my my mom had passed away um, some months earlier. Um, I was headed toward burnout at work. Um, and so I decided to just give myself a break. And I signed up to go to this little spot in the desert, nothing fancy. I mean, we were in these little cabins. It was in the middle of nowhere. But the woman who ran the spa, who owned the spa, um, pretty much changed my life, you know, in, 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 a, in a moment. Um, and that moment came in a session. She taught some uh, basically nutrition classes. Uh, she taught yoga. She was like 60 something, which seemed you know, fairly old to me then for all the energy that she had, but she was like so exuberant. Yeah. But she, she said to us in one of the classes, she had, she had us sit quietly and she said, I want you to picture something. I want you to picture um, the trillions of cells that make up your body. And I want you to reflect on the fact that no matter what you do, whether it's helpful to them or whether it's harmful, they do their very best to keep you well. 
Yeah. They work tirelessly 24 seven. They've been doing this since your conception and they will do it throughout your life. And she said, this is the definition of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And it struck me because first of all, I wasn't ever really thinking about, you know, myself, period, you know, what was happening. Um, but that night when I went back to my little uh, cabin, I just cried. I mean, I just boohooed for maybe, I don't know how long it was. It seemed like a long time. Probably was only 15, 20 minutes. But yeah, uh, I could not, that image, I could not get that image out of my mind of, you know, all of this energy going into my well-being and I'm just oblivious to it. And I'm doing a lot of things to make it harder <laughs> for my body to work for me. So again, I think that we make changes uh, when we have a compelling reason to do so. And then when you have a compelling reason and then you start to see the power of food, it is, that's the joyful part because there's a solution to these issues that we face and it's very simple and it's accessible. We'll return to our interview in a sec, but first I have a few updates that I wanna share with you. I know that I've been talking a lot about the upcoming food launch. Uh, It seems like for probably six to seven weeks now. And I can officially say that the last truck has been loaded and we are just about ready to open our digital doors to unveil our brand new foods next week. That's right, next week. To celebrate and because food is so central to our community, it's what bonds us together We are excited to announce a new podcast series, Plant Strong Snackables. This mini pod will dish on all things food and my co-host will be Jessica Haggerty. She is the VP of Product Innovation here at Plant Strong. And we'll share what we're eating, what we're excited about, and the trends that that are worth watching. I hope you'll tune into this new show. It's gonna launch June 15th. Also launching June 15th is our summer session of the Rescue 10X Mindset Mastery Program. So when I wrote the Engine 2 Diet and the Engine 2 Diet 7-Day Rescue, it was from my viewpoint as a firefighter, as a first responder. Um, And I I felt an obligation to share the news about plant-based nutrition to allow people to rescue themselves from the chronic disease death traps that come from eating the standard American diet. And once you know this information, you you become the fire lieutenant of your life. And you now hold the, you hold the fire hose to rescue yourself, one meal and one forkful at a time. Over the years, though, I have discovered that for many people, it takes more than just knowing the truth and reading the information to be able to apply the principles and to put it to work. Life, as we have learned this past year, is full of unexpected obstacles that seem to get in the way of our success. And that's why we created the Rescue 10X Mindset Mastery Program to help people rescue their health. It's a 10-week intensive uh, course that takes the pillars of Plant Strong Living as I wrote them in all of my books. And our coaches bundle them with the mindset tools and a tried and tested habit building system to help you finally make the lifestyle stick. It's a full menu of tools that you can customize to fit your lifestyle how to avoid cravings, how to start and sustain an exercise routine, how to keep your motivation front and center, and how to stop the stopping and starting that is so prevalent. We only offer this program a few times a year. Our next session kicks off June 15th with the first of 10 live group coaching sessions. For details, visit Rescue. 10x.com or send us an email at hello at plantstrong.com. Finally, 
If an in-person retreat is something that you've always wanted to do, I want to invite you to join me and my family this September in Black Mountain, North Carolina. This retreat is filling up fast and it's the only remaining retreat for 2021. Come test drive the lifestyle, hear world-class lectures, eat insane plant-strong food, and enhance your life in every possible way. For details, visit plantstrong.com. Now, let's get back to Shara Aguirre. Well, you, you know, everything you just said is so true. It's amazing how, right, since since we, we come out of the, you know, since we're birthed, our trillions and trillions, trillions and trillions, I think we have right around 40 trillion cells that make us up, but you're right. They want us to be healthy. That's what they're striving for. And we do, most of us do everything we can to basically bash them and try and abuse them and not, not take care of them. And, and so I think what you've described here as well is, you know, you had the high blood, blood pressure that was affecting you in a myriad of, of ways, probably had the beginnings of, of heart disease. And when you turned and you were able to turn the ship around, but it's amazing when you eat the right, eat, put the right food in your mouth and you start treating these cells properly, how quickly you can right the ship, right? That's, right. that's, been, that's been abused for literally decades and decades and decades. And it's, a, decades. yeah, and it's a testament to the remarkable nature of the human body and its ability to not only persevere, uh, you know, through the storms, but also when the weather's nice to really come out and shine for you. And flourish, right? Yeah, absolutely. So can you talk a little bit more about the, the plan that you followed? So, you know, you said that it was, it sounds like it was a combination between Ornish and Esselstyn and, and Baxter Montgomery. Right. It was. Yeah. And, and, a, and a lot of Shara in there too, because one of the things that I talk about in the book is um, mindful eating. Um, and, yeah. and that's the part of mindful living. But I had to learn how to pay more attention to my body because I think that our body is the final judge of what we do, you know, whether it's working for us or it's not working for us, it'll let us know, but we just have to pay attention. We have to listen we have to respect the messages and understand that uh, no physician or, you know, food guru can tailor something exactly for our needs. They can give us really good guidelines, but a lot of it is you learn along the way. And I had to learn along the way. Um, there was a point even after I had gotten my blood pressure uh, to a, a really good level that I developed the habit of eating too many nuts, too much fat. And so it was healthy fat. You know, I was eating like uh, almonds, you know, walnuts, um, but I was eating too much of it. And so I was wondering, then my blood pressure started to creep back up again. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute now. It was kind of like the same feeling I had when my vegetarian diet, you know, was not protecting me from high blood pressure. Well, I, I remember reading that in the book and it's under a section where you talk about healthy fats versus processed oils right. um, and, and how I think maybe you're like, okay, I got this, right? I've, I've, you know, I've, 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 I'm uh, on top of my blood pressure. Uh, I'm feeling great. And so you slowly started to introduce the nuts. I think you even said olive oil, right? Yeah. I even, you know, I got away from it and then I started, well, I'll just put a little bit, you know, on it. <laughs> but, you know, when I, when I, when my blood pressure started to go up again, again, I said, okay, my body's something, something that I'm doing is not working uh, the way it has been. So I had to really start paying attention to what I was eating every day and how much. And when I did, Rip, I was eating 50% of my calories in fats. Yeah. 50%. Well, you know, and that, and that, that's a lot. It's a lot, but think about it. Think about it. Cause you're, when you're eating a, predominantly a whole food plant-based diet yeah. and you're consuming, I'm, I'm just, do you know how many handfuls of nuts you were consuming? Maybe three or four a day, five. Uh, I would say a good three. Okay. On an average day. Yeah. So, you know, so each, each small handful of nuts is a little shy of 200. So that's 600 calories. 
then yeah. you add, and then you add in your olive oil, right? Yeah. Which is 120 a tablespoon. Let's just say you're doing two of those. Right. We're almost, we're almost up to 900, 900 calories from, and that's almost a hundred percent fat. Yes. And nuts in the olive oil. So yes. if you're, if you're consuming 2000 to 2200 calories, uh, in totality, yeah. I mean, you're easily going to be at 50%. So, and I was, <laughs> yeah, well that's, and that's, but that's, that's a fascinating experiment that you did there. And, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how, as you said, you were mindful to what was going on and you made the connection and you knew exactly what to do to rectify it. Yeah, it took, it took me a minute, but I, I, <laughs> I finally figured it out and I was shocked to, to, to see how much fat I was actually eating. And so it was a good lesson. Uh, and I think that part of what I talked uh, about in the book is that um, eating plant-based is the foundation for, you know, preventing um, lifestyle, chronic, you know, diseases. Yeah. Um, everything vegan is not healthy. <laughs> you still have to pay attention to your body and what you're eating because, you know, obviously French fries are, are vegan, right? If you fry them in vegetable oil, they're, they're vegan. But, you know, again, there are many restaurants now who are featuring, um, you know, a wide array of vegan food, particularly vegan comfort food. And I'm really happy to see that. I'm happy to see it because younger people are getting introduced to it in a way that they can relate to it and enjoy it. But as we get older, we have to, you know, modify the plan a little bit. You can't keep going at that rate you know, even with vegan foods, eating that much fat, for example, or salt or sugar. I just, you know, in hearing, in hearing that story about you doing the oil and doing the nuts and, you know, getting up to 50% of your calories coming from fat, it just makes me wonder. And, and you were eating for the most part, like super healthy, right? That you were, you just were doing a, a couple things, right? Yeah. That, were, that were, you know, not in your, in your favor. Imagine the typical American and what they're doing to themselves. I mean, I think it's, I I would imagine that the the average American is eating well over 50% of their calories from fat. You know, I, I would not doubt that at all. When I see the commercials, you know, for the double cheeseburger with cheese in the bread and cheese on top and, you know, the pizza with the stuffed cheese, and then you've got the meat on top of all of that. It's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. It's a recipe for the epidemic, you know, of heart disease that we're seeing. Yeah. Well, and, and I just heard a quote this morning that we're now as a, as a nation, we're up to 43% of Americans are now considered not just overweight, but considered obese. Okay. Right. And uh, I think, you know, as you allude to here in, in your book, but, you know, uh, African-American women are really taking the brunt of this right now. And I think I saw that close to 82 or 83% of, of African-American women are now considered uh, obese. So, I mean, that is, that is just, um, it's not sustainable. It's scary, isn't it? And, um, you know, the um, communities of color are, are challenged with access to healthcare. That is another reason for health uh, disparities. Uh, so you combine, you know, the lack of access to quality health care with, you know, a diet that a typical low income person would probably default to because it's it's available. It's cheap. Yeah. You know, it's engineered to taste good. Yeah. That's a recipe for disaster. And you find that also in, in most low income communities, uh, not just African-American. And one of the hardest, hardest hit communities is really our Native American community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I love you have some really fantastic quotes in your book. One of them, you started out chapter one, and I'll just read it right now. It's the greatest medicine of all is teaching people how not to need it. Right. I mean, how not to need uh, medication, how not, we, we literally we live in a country right now. We don't have a health care system. We have a sick care system. Mm-hmm. And uh we got to teach people the principles that are in your book so that they can avoid the doctor, the doctor's office and medications and hospitals. And I mean, I literally, I don't know about you, Shara, but I can't remember the last time that I was in a hospital for, well, 
that's not true. I broke my ankle about a year and a half ago. But other than that, I can't remember the last time I was in a doctor's office for anything more than just an annual checkup, you know? I mean, that's, that's, that's what we call, that's what I would call good self-care. Yeah. And I think, I think self-care is the new healthcare. And yes. I think, I think I heard that from Jane, <laughs> your sister at, at, a conference, yeah. Yeah, at, at a conference, a uh, really wonderful conference for women uh, yeah. in 19. Uh, but that's that, that phrase struck me because I think that's so true. And I think the pandemic has oh. made it more obvious because we now see the frailties of our, you know, of our healthcare system. So I think it's incumbent upon us to do everything we can to, um, you know, to stay healthy on our own. And yes, we still want good healthcare, but we want healthcare, not sick care. Yeah. No, you, but you, you absolutely just hit on it when you said the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has absolutely exposed, I think, down to the core, the, mm-hmm. the fragile state of our healthcare system. And, and even more than that, the fragile state of, of how we as a culture have gotten it wrong when, mm-hmm. when, it, when it comes to healthcare and we need to embrace self-care and whole plant-based goodness. It's really so, the, 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 what's so crazy is the answer is so simple. It's so simple. So simple. But you know, but you know what the problem is, right? It, it's, well, it's time, but it's also money. Um, you know, our food system uh, is, is probably the biggest piece of our economy. Yeah. There's so much money uh, on the status quo, you know, with the subsidies to the meat and dairy industry for um, the Food and Drug Administration's kind of slow um, ability to change kind of even the basic food information that goes out. So they're very slow to criticize um, anything that has to that will shake up the economic order of, of the food industry. So that is part of the problem, too. It's um, and, and then you look at the pharmaceutical industry, um, similar problem. It's hard to get people to focus on, you know, telling the physicians that distribute their products to just tell them to go eat food. <laughs> That's not a good business model <laughs> for them. So I think there's going to have to be some public, um, you know, in the public arena, uh, advocacy for changes that that are really would address kind of some systemic problems with just our, our whole food, our whole food economy. Yeah, no, that was very well said, Shara. And you're right. It is, it's very systemic. It runs very deep and we, we, we need to shake it up in, 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 in a big way, but it is a big ocean liner that is just going, cutting through the water right now and needs, needs to be, needs to be righted. Can you talk for a sec? Because I, I love the way in your book you talk about not only you know eating food mindfully, but also the, your your appreciation of simple whole plant based foods and how wondrous they truly are. Yeah, I mean, I um, I think one of the examples uh, that I talk about in the book is my little persimmon. Yes. <laughs> I grew up in East Texas, and they grew wild, and there was a patch. Of, uh, of persimmon trees between my house and my grandmother's house. And I would walk down there and I'd cast them. Yeah. So I learned that the variety that, uh, that grew wild there, you, you'd had to wait till it was really ripe because if you didn't, you bit into it, it, was, it would just make your mouth pucker and it, it, was, it was not pleasant. So I bought this one at a grocery store and I didn't realize it was a different variety. So I, I was waiting for it to soften, to get to that perfect, you know, uh, place where I could eat it, but it was so pretty sitting, you know, I have this little basket. I keep, you know, fresh fruit on my counter and every day I'd look at it. It was so pretty and I touch it. It was still too firm, but eventually I said, you know what, this has been sitting here now for maybe three weeks. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to let this, you know, persimmon go bad on me. So I cut it. It was perfection. Yeah. I mean, it was perfection. When you slice it, you know how the little star pattern is in the middle. That was so, you know, just 
pretty and the color was beautiful. And I took a bite of it. Oh my God, it was so good. Part of it, I think, was because I had waited so long <laughs> to taste that persimmon yeah. that when I finally did, it was just wonderful. And I also said, you know, it's this little persimmon didn't need anything. It mm. didn't need to be sugared. It didn't need to be baked. You know, it didn't need anything. It was perfection. And I think there are moments, you know, like that with, you know, sometimes I, I, I have the same experience just eating um, a fresh, fresh corn off the cob when it's really crunchy and sweet. I've just learned how to pay attention to those kinds of things and to really enjoy them and reflect on how available and simple good health can actually be and how delicious and fun it can be if we take time to appreciate you know what we have yeah no i couldn't agree with you more i um i too have come to appreciate like the the nuanced sophistication of something as simple as a caracara orange or a, a champagne mango that i cut in half and i peel it and i eat it and i'm like there's nothing in the world that 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 can compare to this i mean i'm just right now i am immersed in this experience and love it more than anything else you know, you mentioned in the book, and I couldn't agree with you more, like a great salad with all these different greens and arugula and, and the bitterness and right on how they just all meld together and pretty, pretty wonderful. You, you have a quote, too, that I want to that I want to just read because I, I, I love your attitude uh, about being being vegan and eating mindfully and eating healthfully. It's and you say this is not about being a purist. It's about having the healthiest, most enjoyable food possible in whatever situation we find ourselves. And that's exactly how I look at it, too. It's like this adventure, right? So if I'm traveling, I figure out a way to, you know, to, to game the system and make it work. And you, you actually have a whole little section in your book on gaming restaurant menus. Right, so right. What's your, what's your system? Can you share that with us? Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 simple, but but it was fun to discover. Yeah. So again, in my business life, I often had business lunches, so I would have to take people to lunch that did not eat the way I did. Um, so and I wanted them to enjoy themselves, so I had to base the choice of the restaurant on what they would want. But I also had to figure out how I could, you know, have a nice meal. So I went to uh, this chain, uh, salt, I guess I shouldn't mention brands, but a steakhouse, <laughs> Yeah. not a high-end steakhouse, but you know, a, a nice steakhouse. And so what I've learned to do is I scan the menu for ingredients. So I, I, I look at the salads, I look at the, what they call the sides, you know, which are for me, the mains, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, you know, in the steakhouse, every salad had, either chicken or fish or beef or shrimp on it or in it or somewhere involved. <laughs> so what I, what, I, what I do and what I did in that case, you know, when the waiter came over, there's a way you have to do this because, you know, you, waiters aren't used to people like reinventing the menu. They just want you to take number one or number two. Yeah. So I always let my guests go first because they're, they're going to be easy. And then what I did was I, I said, you know, I see the spinach salad. I really would like the spinach salad, uh, but can you upsize it? Can you supersize it for me? Cause that's going to be really my, my entree. Yeah. And I see you have some avocados in this other salad. Could you add those? And I see there's some nuts over here. And at that time I was, I still eat nuts, but yeah. uh, so I had them put some, some, I think there were pecans. Yeah. Uh, and I said, you know what? Pico de gallo. You know, I live, we live in Texas. We know what pico de gallo is. It's a, a Mexican kind of uh, salsa or, or dish that's used for dipping. But I said, you know, I'd like some of that on my salad because basically it's tomatoes, it's onion, it's some jalapeno pepper. Ah. Um, so I said, I'd love that. Um, and so basically when I got my, my salad, my business friend says, wow, that looks pretty good. <laughs> Because it's so colorful, you know, uh, plant-based whole fresh foods are just so beautiful, you know, with all the colors. And so, but when I finished that meal, I was so satisfied because with the, I had the protein I needed, I had nuts, it had avocado, it had flavor. 
it had everything I could have asked for. And so that's what I advise people to do is just scan for, you know, for for ingredients. Start with the base uh, menu item that's the closest to what you want and then take away what you don't want and add stuff that you find from other items to it. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. And it's easy. And uh, as you said in your book, you've done this and created some really some masterpieces that have uh, have them scratching their head going, I think we should add this to the menu. <laughs> I've been told that, you yeah. know, I was actually told that about that salad at the steakhouse. <laughs> nice. nice. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's hard for me to believe that you're 72. It, re- it really is. I mean, you look so remarkably, you know, vibrant and healthy um, and youthful. What else do you do uh, kind of on a daily basis besides eat plant strong? <laughs> well, um, you know, I started meditation and yoga about 25 years ago. And I have to say yeah. that um, that is that routine that I do in the mornings when I wake up is the most important part of my day. Wow. And even when I traveled, even when I was running a business, I still stuck to that, you know, and, and I have probably more frequent flyer meditation miles than anybody I know, because if I had to get on a plane and fly somewhere, you know, I would get up, do my yoga, but to save, you know, an extra 30 minutes, I would just meditate on, on the flight <laughs> and people would leave me alone because they thought I was napping. <laughs> Can you tell me this? So you've been doing this, you said about 25 years, and it sounds like you've, you've got a great routine that, that, you've, um, that you've embraced. What, what does it typically look like? Like, how long do you meditate? How long do you do yoga? What time do you wake up? Well, um, you know, I usually get up around, you know, eight or so yep. because, because I, you know, I'm writing now and doing other things. So I, I don't have to get up and jump on a plane. Yep. Um, and so the first thing I do is meditate for 30 minutes. So Shara, you are, you're a meditator. You love meditating. I don't meditate. I want to start to meditate. I've heard so many fantastic things about it. How, how do I begin? What, like, what do you recommend I do? Well, I think, I think um, find someone to, who is a meditator uh, and, and let them kind of give you their method and maybe meditate with you. There are places you can go to find coaches. I mean, you can find there's different traditions of meditation. Uh, transcendental meditation is uh, the tradition that I was trained in. Um, and it is really effortless. So I think it fit me because it's not a matter of concentration or a lot of effort to it. Uh, the, the biggest thing starting is to be able to sit quietly for five minutes, 10 minutes, and then you build your way slowly up to a longer period. But I remember it was hard for me to sit still for five minutes when I started. Um, and over time, you know, you get into a rhythm of it. And, and the other thing that's been very useful is it's really good to kind of bookend your day with it. Like if you're going to do five minutes to start in the morning, do another five minutes between eight and 12 hours, like before you're, before you go to bed or, you know, before you have your dinner or something like that, because it, you get into a rhythm that's really helpful as well. So do you ever go a day anymore where you don't meditate or is it just something you have to do like brushing your teeth? You know what? I would, I would not brush my teeth before I would not medita- uh-huh. meditate. <laughs> and that would not be good. No, because yeah. you know what? Um, here's what I will say. After 25 years of meditating, and even when I was five or 10 years into it, um, it really changed the way that I move through the world. I mean, it changes the way I look at things. It changes the way that things look to me and the world didn't change. So it was, it was the change happened on my side, Yeah. but it's just a different, it's just a different way of being. Um, I think meditating gives you a space to make better decisions. Um, a lot of times we just react to situations with meditation. You start to realize there is space for you to make choice. And so I think that has been the most practical benefit of it, that if I can be in a very stressful situation and I can kind of step back and observe myself in the situation and make choices as to how I want to deal with it. Yeah. 
No, I've, I've heard that, that by other people as well. I was actually was listening to a, a podcast that Tim Ferriss had with Jerry Seinfeld. And Jerry Seinfeld is a huge proponent of transcendental meditation, does it every day and says it, you know, he said, start, like you said, he said, start with five minutes, just start with five minutes. And he also does the right. same thing with writing. He says, if he says writing is so hard, just start with five minutes and then 10 and then 15 and 20. Uh, interesting. It's just like a plant-based eating, right? Sometimes you just start with adding a few more veggies and then you just go from there and make these little tweaks. Exactly. So speaking of veggies, uh, you have a, a really delicious recipe section as well in your new book where you have buckwheat pancakes, you've got Indian vegetable curries, broccoli, quinoa, cornbread, onion rings. I mean, that are baked. <laughs> that, that totally speaks to us. You got a raw cashew, a raw cashew chocolate cheesecake. I want to make that tonight. Uh, apple crisp. You also have a dish. It's an African dish. Thea Bodiomi. How do you pronounce? Do you have, do you know how to pronounce it? And what is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's funny because you did better than I did the first time I was in Senegal to, to eat it <laughs> and it was presented, but it's Chebujin. It's Chebujin. Wow. Is, is how you, it. yeah. And you'd never know that from the spelling, no. but it's, it's really basically plant-based because it's the, the, the base of it is rice but rice in Senegal, it's, Senegal has a real, really beautiful infusion of traditional African cuisine and French because it was formerly a French, you know, colony. Yeah. And so those two cuisines, you know, blended together are wonderful. And so it's a bed of rice and then it's, uh, the rice is infused though with spices. So it's not like you're plain old white rice. No. And then your vegetables. No, it's like you could just eat the rice by itself. <laughs> and then you have all these vegetables, um, you know, calabasa, they call it, or squash. You have carrots, you have um, green beans, you have cabbage, um, you have, uh, what is the Sweet potatoes. Yucca. Sweet potato. Yeah, yucca. Yes, yeah, yeah. sweet potatoes and yucca. I mean, it's just so wonderful. And then you have like two or three different sauces. Mm. You know, everything's so intricate. And so but then the part that makes it not vegan is that typically you would add to that on top fish, yeah. you know, a whole fish uh, or lamb or chicken. So it's really easy to convert that into vegan. You just leave off the lamb, <laughs> the fish or the chicken. And then, you know, some of the other tweaks I made was just to um, uh, reduce. I'm not sure if I eliminated the oil initially. Now I have. Yeah. Uh, but to, you know, have less oil, but the flavors are just so delicious. Yeah. Well, it almost sounds a little bit like a, like a paella. A little bit. A little, a little bit. So just for people that are, that are listening, I'm going to spell this word and then I want you to say it again. So it's spelled T-H-I-E-B as in boy, O-U-D as in dog, I-E-M-E. And it's pronounced what again? Shebujin. <laughs> that <laughs> that is wild uh that is right <laughs> yeah, yeah well um shara this has been absolutely delightful so if people want to get a hold of you or follow you um where do they go for for that and where can they go to get a copy of joyful delicious vegan well, thank you so much. Uh, it's uh, the release date is, is May 25th, uh, which is the day we're recording. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, available pretty much wherever books are sold. So online at Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, most bookstores. I like to promote indie bookstores because I think they're really important uh, part of the landscape when it comes to books and reading. But you can do all of that online. My website, shareaguiri.com has links to all of those that you can go to purchase or you can go directly to whichever bookseller's link that you'd like to get the book. Well, Shara, this has been really, this has been delightful. You really are joyful, such a breath of fresh air. And thank you for getting this book out into the universe and for um, your kind of your commitment and dedication to helping others. 
Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, I'm a big fan of, again, your whole family. <laughs> and I haven't met you, but yeah. having met your father was an honor and uh, having attended the conference was wonderful. And the work that you guys are doing, I can't tell you how much of an impact it makes. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, hey, will you hit me with a, with, a, with a fist bump? Plant strong, Shara. You got it. You got it. Keep it Thank strong. you so much. <laughs> this was fun. Yes, it was. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shara, for being such a glowing example of the far-reaching effects of a plant-strong way of life. When you live the mantra, self-care is the new health care, it can and will reverse your own lifestyle disease. But by changing yourself from the inside out, it can also have a lasting effect on your families and the communities in which you serve. Now that, my friends, is powerful and so, so simple. I wanna share with you an interesting side note. In her book, Shara acknowledges the support of her two daughters, Tembi and Attica Locke, both of whom are award-winning novelists themselves, New York Times bestsellers, as well as actors and advocates. Tembi is the author of the book, From Scratch, A Memoir of Love, Sicily, and Finding Home, which was selected as one of Reese Witherspoon's book club picks. And Attica is the author of multiple books, including her latest, Heaven, My Home. And both of, both of their books have been picked up by Netflix to be made into films. That's pretty darn cool. So. The apple of talent and passion definitely didn't fall far from the tree. Congratulations to all of you, and thank you, Shara. Thank you for inspiring all of us to rewrite our family histories with lessons and stories from your book, Joyful, Delicious Vegan. Thank you for listening to the Plan Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true? I'd love to hear about it. Visit PlantStrongPodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.